the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hour two. I've been looking forward to this all day because it feels like it has been forever since we talked with Brandon Weikert. He uh, is the publisher of the Weikert Report, the WeikertReport.com. It's free. W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, if you're looking it up, the Weikert Report. He's also the uh, author of great book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, now out in paperback. Brandon, welcome back. How long has it been? It's been a long time. Been two weeks. <laughs> Has it really been a fortnight? Okay. <laughs> yes, the, the paperback is coming out soon. I'm still making updates to it. Oh, the publisher's waiting for it. it oh, will okay. Be out soon, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Yeah. Well, there are a million things to talk about, so we can either start or just say the heck with it and go on with her. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's way too. All right, you can help me. You can help me put it all together here. Okay. Let's start with. The breaking news, even if you're not up to speed on it, you'll know about it. I'll just give you the headline from Reuters. China mounts largest incursion yet near Taiwan, blames U.S. for tensions. Now, it immediately came to my mind, Brandon, whether Mark Milley might be calling his counterparts over there. (laughs) Because he's already told them we're not attacking, so maybe they think Taiwan is up for grabs, right? You you take it from here. Yes. What do we need well, to know? They're, cer- they're certainly not calling him. Okay. Uh, they uh, they know their son too. That deception is the uh, is the quintessential element in warfare. Uh, and so what they're doing right now is they're sending signals not to mess with them because in the West, and I think mistakenly, we are looking at what's going on in China with the slow rolling collapse of Evergrande which is the second largest real estate developer and investment house in the country, we're thinking this is a Lehman Brothers-like uh, collapse that could trigger a wider, complete financial and eventually political collapse of China. And first of all, I don't think that's what this is like. I think we are misreading that. And I think China is doing what they're doing for two reasons. They're sending those warplanes in to send a signal, hey, we're still here, don't mess with us. Don't assume we're going away. And B, I think they're doing that because in the long run, I do think they they think that they can take Taiwan because they don't think the Biden administration or the American people are going to continents sending a large American military force to get involved in a very bloody, possibly nuclear war uh, against China to free Taiwan from the inevitable invasion. So what they're doing right now in China is they're sending signals to stay back America, and they're also probing Taiwan's defenses. And right now, I was just reading an article, uh, and I, I, for the life of me, can't remember where it was at. Maybe it was Reuters, maybe it was CNN of all places. But it was basically about how Taiwan is now, the government there is telling their people to prepare for war. Um, and so, you know, Taiwan's a frontline country. They're a besieged nation. Um, the, the hammer's going to fall at any moment. And what China likes to do by launching these continuous, unpredictable sorties of their air force into Taiwanese space, airspace, is that 
they know it puts wear and tear on the Taiwanese aircraft and that also it makes the Taiwanese military jittery and fatigued every time they have to go launching to respond to these very bizarre, uh, you know, are these just Chinese threats or are these the beginnings of a Chinese invasion type sorties. So this is, they're stretching Taiwan, they're testing them psychologically, they're probing their defenses, and at the same time they're trying to send messages to the United States back off back. Yeah, that's right. You used the Yeah, I was going to follow up on that. You probably would agree, but you tell me. You say they're testing Taiwan. Are they also testing America? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I think it's essential to understand unlike our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, their military leaders are not going to be so courteous as to call us and telegraph, "Hey, we're going there." That's not how China operates. That's not how most countries operate. Um, I was reading a, an exchange uh, between uh, Isaac Asimov and one of the uh, other sci-fi writers. who was at a, I think it might have been Heinlein. Uh, they were at a convention, and Asimov tried to sound very wise, in which he said, you know, they asked him why he doesn't write more militaristic science fiction. And he said, I think that uh, it's the height of stupidity to, to resort uh, to, to use force. And then I think it was Heinlein leaned in, and he goes, well, it's the height of stupidity to use force last. Right. Uh, right. You know, right. The, the, the rest of the world operates on a different, yeah. more fair yes. dynamic. Yes, 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 <laughs> right, right. I always think of Orwell's line about the pacifist being the unwitting ally of the fascist. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. Or, yeah. Absolutely. I think they that's Orwell. Are. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We'll get They're to Millie are. in a second. You wrote a lot about him. I can't disagree with a single word you wrote. I wanna, I'll, I'll get there in a minute. Let's stay with Taiwan for just a sec, because it is this oddly placed entity. Do you want to just say a word about how it got that way? Or, 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 uh, you talking about the history of Taiwan? Yeah, just in, in a minute yeah. or two. Yeah. Why well, is Taiwan yeah, so, such a so, weird little thing? It used to be in the United Nations. Right. So very quickly, after the Second World War, we had a line with Chiang Kai-shek and his nationalists who were buying and control of China. Uh, they were engaged in a long-running civil war against Mao Zedong, Communist Party. Basically, Mao was able to stretch the, the nationalists out, and basically he beat them on the mainland, took them to the mainland in 1949, Mao. Uh, yeah. That was how you had the Chinese Communist Party today. Right. Chiang Kai-shek and his cadre escaped across the Taiwan Strait onto Formosa, which is modern-day Taiwan, and he said, Chiang said, uh, we are the legitimate government, yeah. in, and we are, we are moving to Taiwan, and basically China is considered West. Taiwan, yeah. and we're gonna the, the civil war will continue on, and we are never going to yield. And over the decades, that was how the relationship between China and Taiwan uh, formulated. They they hated each other. Uh, China never felt safe as long as Taiwan was there, especially because Taiwan was getting backing from the United States during the Cold War. MacArthur, General George MacArthur, I'm sorry, General Douglas MacArthur, referred to Taiwan numerous times as the unsinkable aircraft carrier. Uh, and so China was keenly aware of the vulnerability that Taiwan posed or, or, or posed to China. Mm -hmm. In the 1970s, Nixon takes Mao up on his offer to open up China to the West. And after years of back and forth, the United States government under Jimmy Carter in 1979 not only decides to recognize China as a trading partner and integrate them fully into the Western trading order, but then he also, Jimmy Carter... Uh, disavows Taiwan, says they are not uh, the legitimate government of China, 
that China's government in Beijing, the Communist Party, is, and the rest, as they say, is history. And sadly, today, in the 90s and beyond, Taiwan's government has said, hey, look, we don't even want the mainland, even if you gave it to us. Just let us be our own country. Yeah. But the Chinese regime will not let it go. I've talked to Chinese citizens who say, we look at the Taiwan situation the way your Abraham Lincoln looked at the South in the Civil War. We are never going to let them go until they're part of us again. Mm. This is a religious thing. This is a political thing. This is a familial thing. This is a blood feud thing. It ain't going away, and America's right in the middle of it, and we cannot just abandon Taiwan. And sadly, I think that's what's going to happen. Well, I do too. Uh, I, you know, we, we're 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 getting pretty good at abandoning friends and and allies under yeah. this administration. By the way, for the history buffs or the phraseology buffs, that's where the expression "Nixon to China" comes from. Yeah, right. The idea. But I think right. it's important to note it's not just this this administration. This goes back to Nixon. This goes back to Carter. And if anything, Biden, being a creature of D.C. for the last like five hundred years. Uh, Biden is very much involved with that sort of bipartisan elite consensus. And I think that that is why he's going to follow through on what began really under Nixon, but certainly under Carter, to slowly push Taiwan away. And I think this is the natural end of a 40 or 50 year long uh, policy. Well, I haven't seen stories of the Bidens trying to do business with Taiwan but the big guy was doing, trying to get a lot of business, evidently, with Third mainland time. China. And, of course, obviously, that concern accelerates or exponentially increases. My friend Ed yeah. Lutwak made a comment. He got in a lot of trouble a few years <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah, what did Ed say? He, he said he told the Taiwanese government, he said, you guys need to get better at bribing a foreign officials because <laughs> the Chinese are too good at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's... <laughs> <laughs> As only Ed could say, right? There, there right. were he's still around. We lost another great oh, yeah. scholar uh, along yeah. those lines in Angie Cotavilla, but uh, we still have Ed, don't we? Fabulous. Yes. Yeah. Let me do this. I got to take a commercial break, Brandon. But let's come back and let's talk about let's let's go to Mark Milley, and then I want to do your thing on face. Uh, we've got a lot to cover. You're not going yeah. anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Nope. No Our audience here. ain't going anywhere. You have a question for Brandon? Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He's the author of Winning Space: How America Remains a Superpower and the publisher of the Weikert Report. The Weikert Report dot com. I want to get to Facebook with you, and I want to do yeah. General Milley. Uh, but we do have another um, caller in on China before we leave it. And we never really leave it. But first, Rob, you're on with uh, Brandon Weikert. Well, hi, Seth. Hi, Brandon. Um, How you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm good, sir. And, uh, again, I enjoyed your book. Um, you, you were bringing up some great points. I, I too, worry about Taiwan um, for two reasons. As a retired military officer, uh, I worry about... Uh, the impact of the woke senior military in Washington, and I really worry about the impact of mandatory vaccinations on every single member of the military that I know China is watching with great interest. And I have a feeling that the combination of, you know, our woke military leadership, but never seems to talk about combat readiness, winning wars, or any of that, which is scary enough, uh, and this whole mandating a vaccine when there are other options, as we all know, um, is is going to provide China 
uh, with the opening that they need and want. Uh, and again, again, general American apathy probably as well uh, that they need to go ahead and with all of their overflights and uh, entering their airspace in the last few weeks or months or so, um, it, things just don't look good for Taiwan right now. And I think uh, it's because China is looking at what we are doing or not doing. And that is what is and we're not even reacting to it. So mm-hmm. I was just kind of interested in your perspective on thanks, all that, Rob. Brandon, and Seth. Oh, thanks. You bet. Thanks. Go ahead, Brandon. Well, thank you for that. Um, and, Seth, I'm just going to take this yeah, please. my Yeah, Yeah. Um, so basically something to consider is that bilaterally in terms of U.S. and Taiwan, if China were to hit Taiwan, I do not think the United States would do much of anything. However, we do know in the last year Japan, the wild card, and my current, I'm currently writing an article for the Asia Times about this, uh, Japan has is essentially come out and said, if China does anything to Taiwan, the Japanese defense forces will be deployed to protect and augment Taiwan's defense against China. And what, what people aren't noticing about that statement, this was made in the last eight months by the Japanese government, uh, what people aren't recognizing is that Japan and the United States have a mutual defense treaty. So while our defense tri- while our defense relationship with Taiwan is not explicit, basically, yes, we provide arms, yes, we provide support uh, to Taiwan's military, but there is no provision that explicitly commits the United States to deploying military force to protect Taiwan from China. However, we do have an explicit treaty with Japan that says, if China is involved in something militarily, the United States military will be there by Japan's side. And so this is the loophole, I think, our allies might use to force the otherwise unwilling Biden administration in the event of a Chinese attack on Taiwan that might force the Biden administration to either stand up and go with the Japanese to save Taiwan or risk losing the entire global American alliance system because... If we don't answer the call of Taiwan as well as Japan in, on the heels of Afghanistan, there is no one around the world who's going to take us seriously. And that is going to be, you want to talk about uh, isolated America? Remember how they used to say Trump was an isolationist? Mm. You want to talk about an isolated America? You watch the alliance structure evaporate overnight because we don't answer the calls of Japan. Forget about Taiwan. It's Japan. That's the linchpin here. I'll uh, put Rob back on for a follow-up in just a second. Let me let me add something here, Brandon, which is mm-hmm. don't countries like China, don't countries like Russia, st- what, I don't know how you want to ca- categorize them, strategic competitors, uh, enemies, whatever you want to categorize, but don't these countries watch the United States generally and how it defends, stands up for, treats allies and adversaries as to kind of yes. – as to kind of – meter what they want to do with their own foreign policy with allies of ours i mean when if you look at this administration you realize this is an administration that's not standing up for its own people in afghanistan right never mind others this is an administration that is willing to upend the realliance with mid east uh, in the middle east with allies and try and refoot us with enemies 
Right. And this is a this is an administration that seems not to want to engage in anything that will upset specifically mainland China. Right. Don't they look at these things, detect a pattern Absolutely. and realize what muscles they can flex? Absolutely, but that's also why countries like Japan are sort of making these otherwise bold moves that they wouldn't have made a few years ago. Uh, and they're trying to basically position the United States where they have no choice but to defend, to assist Japan in defending Taiwan. And this was a question that I was asked explicitly when I was out at a major military base in June of this year. Uh, one of the commanders was there, and they kept asking about, what about our allies? What can our allies, are you, I'm, I'm less worried about what we would do in a Taiwan invasion situation or Chinese invasion of Taiwan situation. But what would our allies do to try to restrain the policymakers in Washington from do from maybe not responding to a Taiwan event? And I immediately said, Well Japan. And that was where they were thinking. So there's a there is a cadre of people in our military and in the policy community in DC who are already thinking we don't really want to go to war for Taiwan, but we might not be able to say no if Japan goes headlong into that arena. Right. Good. Thank you. Uh, Rob, did you okay. want to do a follow-up on that? Yeah, just real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought our uh, treaty with Japan, and again, uh, Japan has a maritime, well, from the Navy standpoint, self-defense force. And I thought our treaty had to do with uh, us and Japan and wasn't linked to anything with Taiwan or China. I, I could be wrong. I haven't read the specific treaty, but um, that was my sense. And I don't maybe, Brandon, you can expand on that. Is there a provision that if Japan gets involved in the defense of Taiwan, the United States then should be intervening? I that is the logic. If there... yeah. Basically, if, if, if the Japanese military, or if Japan does something in the military realm, we are required to support them, not just you know, by giving them arms, we will be required to intervene in a, alongside the Japanese. At least that's the logic, and that is certainly, I think, what many of our policy people are worried about. Even if we might be willing to say we don't really care about Japan either, we're not going to risk American troops or equipment against China. The problem is the rest of the world believes, certainly with Japan, the United States must back their play. And if we don't, on top of Taiwan, on top of what we did in Afghanistan, on top of how we've treated Israel and how we've treated Saudi Arabia, this thing, the whole alliance structure around the world could fold very quickly if we don't make a stand. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Rob. A lot more with Brandon coming right up. We'll do Millie. We'll do Facebook. Speaking of, yeah, it must mean something when the vice president of the United States agrees with someone calling our ally and uh, guilty of ethnic genocide. That, that, that's got to say something to our allies and enemies, too, right? We'll pick up all that with Brandon when we come right back. Let's go, Brandon. Nothing says 80s like Eddie Money, and nothing says smart like Brandon Weikert, <laughs> publisher of the Weikert Report. Uh, Brandon, uh, I have some callers who want to talk about Facebook. You've written about Facebook. People can yeah. access your piece at the Weikert Report. Talk to me about it. Facebook down accident or convenient timing, you ask? Yeah. So uh, 
as you know, as most of your viewers or listeners know, 2.8 million, uh, 2.89 billion rather people use Facebook. It's larger than most countries. Uh, and suddenly uh, this morning it crashed. But not only did Facebook, but its sister uh, platforms like Instagram yep. and WhatsApp and a bevy of others. Mm-hmm. Twitter is not owned by Facebook, so it's not involved. Here, but <laughs> yeah. other, other... As one as one smart Alec put it, the Ayatollahs and the Taliban are still safe because they use Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. It crashed, yeah. but this didn't happen in a vacuum. All right. So what I did was I went on the internet and I was going to some of these boards and whatnot, like Reddit. And, of course, on Reddit, there was a gentleman who claimed that he was on the Facebook recovery and investigation team. And he claimed, basically, that it was a a technical glitch uh, involving the the BGP, which tells routers how to route addresses. And long story short, it was one big technical flap. And it's now been resolved. I just checked as of 6.05 p.m., Facebook is up and running. I'm on my page right now checking it. It's a little glitchy, but it's running. But basically, this all happened on the heel of probably the most damaging whistleblower coming out on 60 Minutes last night. Uh, Probably the most damaging whistleblower in the history of Facebook, in which a former high-ranking employee... Uh, came out. Her name was Frances um, Hagen, uh, I think. Uh, I, yes, I, I think Haugen. you pronounce it Hagen or Haugen. Okay, okay. No, Haugen. Good. Frances okay. Haugen. Okay. She was a top, top tier employee at Facebook for years. And she quit suddenly in May of this year and walked out of Facebook headquarters with, you know, an Ed Snowden level of proprietary. <laughs> Uh, Facebook <laughs> da- data. Okay. And basically, Snowden Facebook knew she good. took this tranche of data, but they didn't know what exactly she had. And she was sort of leaking little pieces of it to the press ever since May, culminating in this big revelation on 60 Minutes last night. Um, and suddenly, six hours after, or tw- eight hours after that, that piece aired, and all hell broke loose in the media in which you had people ranging from Fox News host to Joe Scarborough on MSNBC this morning, all accusing Facebook of being no different than Big Tobacco, uh, which is always a death knell for any company. Uh, and, and so all of a sudden, Facebook and its, its sister programs just go dark, mm-hmm. shut down. Mm-hmm. And we're told it's a technical glitch. Mm-hmm. But, you know, coincidences, I believe, happen. But I'm always very suspicious mm-hmm. of them, particularly given the context of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Zuckerberg today did lose $7 billion of his net worth because of this crash. But what my theory on my website is, is that if this was not a technical glitch, which I don't think it was, um, we know, according to the whistleblower, that Facebook's algorithm and Instagram and the other programs that Facebook owns we know that that algorithm can be changed. Mm-hmm. And we know going into 2020 presidential election, Zuckerberg's team went in and changed the algorithm to make it less caustic or less influential for that period of the election so they would avoid the kind of negative press and congressional scrutiny that they endured That's right. after 2016. Right, right. right. And what, what Francis, uh, what, what the whistleblower is saying basically is as soon as the election ended, uh, Zuckerberg's team went in and put it all back to the way it was before the election, where it heightened 
sort of these negative aspects of politics, extremism, hate speech, and apparently Instagram, uh, there's increases suicidal ideation among teenage girls. By highlighting the negative body image stuff. Right. And Zuckerberg wanted to put it all back in place as soon as the, the, the congressional scrutiny was over. And so that's why she's whistleblowing. I think what happened is something similar. I think Facebook did this emergency shutdown, and they probably went in and did a deep cleaning of all of their algorithms in, in the last day. And that way, when they switched it back on, whatever so-called evidence that this whistleblower has that shows how they manipulated the algorithm, when the experts go to look at it, it won't match whatever algorithm Facebook is using. And Facebook can say, hey, look. Yeah, she's not right. Yeah. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So avoiding legal, they're really avoiding the legal and political ramifications. And so I think that this was a break the glass moment. I hate that phrase, but I do think that's what this was. And I think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I think, I know, it has all the, it has all the looks of a, you call it a break the glass moment. I'll call it a CYA moment. Let me take this, let me, (laughs) let me take this break, Brandon, and we'll be right back. We got more. If you're on hold, don't go away. We'll get to you shortly. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and the publisher of the Weikert Report, wherein, if you go there, you will see a column titled, President Biden Can Now Fire General Milley. I was, yeah, the, the most strange thing to me about Milley, Brandon, Mm-hmm. is it's not the call to China, believe it or not. I, I know how wrong and awful that is. But right. the strangest thing to me was what he said about reading Lenin and Mao <laughs> for the purpose of better understanding the people he's trying to protect, uh, right. the country which we are here to defend. I bet you would know better, but I'm guessing those Chinese generals he's in touch with or the Chinese general who's his counter... I'm betting they're not reading Jefferson and Madison to understand the Chinese people better. I'm just betting. No. Anyway. No. They're, they're, no. Time, time for and, him to go. Tell us why. Well, it's time for him to go because of the phone call, because of it. It was conduct on becoming. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the buzzword. That's the, the uniform code of military justice. That is the, the charge that needs to be leveled against him. Uh, and at the very least, because of that, he should be removed. Um in terms of what the Chinese are reading, I'll tell you what they're trying to get their hands on is they're trying to get our, their hands on our playbook for how we're going to defend Taiwan if we do end up doing that. Mm. They're trying to get their hands on, on uh, you know, technical readouts. They're trying to figure out what the Biden administration's pressure points are. I just read uh, a, column, a, uh, a column in my uh, in the Asia Times by Ken Moak entitled, G Could Be the Answer to Biden's Prayer, which it looks like uh, Moak is building off of work that I have done as well as David Goldman has done, in which we've been outlining how the Biden administration is going to cut the mother of all deals with China in order to, to buy economic or to save economic space. The only way that Biden could potentially get out of this economic quandary he's put us in is by basically returning to pre-Trump era levels of economic cooperation with China. So what China's doing is they're reading us to figure out how they can beat us. 
it sounds like Mr. General Milley has been reading, you know, Marx and these people to un- just to understand them and what what we, we don't care what we don't we don't need to understand what China's doing. First of all, they're not reading Marx. China's reading Xi Jinping's thought if they're reading anything. China's reading Sun Tzu. They're reading, you know, the history of the the the, the spring and autumn war war and states period. They're not they're not reading the history. They're not reading our founding documents. That's the first thing. That's a miscommunication there. It's a misunderstanding uh, uh, from Millie on what exactly or why you read and study the enemy threat doctrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and second of all, uh, Millie has aggravated not only the Republicans, but he's also aggravated the Democrats, as I pointed out in my in my recent piece at my website, because he made Biden look bad when he went to Capitol Hill uh, this last week. And he said, you know, we were we the military were strongly opposed to uh, the Afghanistan. Pullout. Oh, he contradicted he, his he, commander in chief directly. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. So now, whereas Milley was very good at positioning himself to be the the lapdog for the Democrats, um, he's now positioned himself where he's aggravated the Republicans for the phone call during Trump and some of these other actions he took. And now he's aggravated the Democrats with this testimony. And, And the Biden administration, while they were very keen to use Milley for their purposes, as long as he was in, you know, the media spotlight with a positive way by, you know, talking about white rage and all that. Yeah. But now, but but they were re- they recognized with Bob Woodward's book, I think, that he's a rogue general. Yeah. Because if he's going to do to Donald Trump, uh, what what you know what he did, uh, calling uh, the Chinese, working with Nancy Pelosi, undermining the president at the time because he disagreed with that president. What's to stop Milley from doing that with Biden? Well, and he's and he showed that he's willing to. He's willing. Right. And so the bottom line is now in my article, I argued that the Biden administration were never going to keep Milley on beyond his his term. And they now actually have a political context for getting rid of Milley in a way that wouldn't make the media turn on the Biden administration. So it's a win win for the Republicans and the Democrats to get rid of Millie now because this guy is bad news. Yeah. He's got to go. Yeah. I agree with you uh, fully, obviously. I love the history lesson of General Taylor. My mind kind oh, of went to Colin Powell because I remember yes. him as an exceedingly gifted political operator. Yeah. Uh, and, yes. and so much so that he left the w, uh, w. Bush administration unscathed Though yes. it was in his upper echelon's office, his C-suite, that the entire yes. scandal over Virginia Plain, uh, Valerie Plame took place. Yes. And he, I mean, and the well, media never held him once accountable while it yes. watched other people go to jail. Yes. And I think it's important to note, and this was uh, Millie himself talked about this yep. not long ago, yep. when it was Colin Powell yep. was his first yep. call yep. when yep. he was appointed by Trump. To be the joint, the chairman of the Joint yep. Chiefs of Staff, and yep. Powell told him it's a bad move. It's, you're going to get burned. There's no way you're going to end up looking good. You're going to you're going to you're going to end your career on a very sour note. And Millie took the job anyway, but he should have listened to Powell, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> yeah. because Powell is the savviest political operator. Yep. Somehow, this guy Powell goes to the UN with George Tenet yeah. and John Negroponte <laughs> right. and holds up the vial of sugar, saying it's anthrax. We've got it. We told you WMD in Iraq, and then two years later, he's walking out of the W administration, 
Tenet has been destroyed. Negroponte has egg on his face. The whole Bush administration is collapsing because of the failure to find WD in Iraq. And somehow Colin Powell, who was the biggest cheerleader in the press, comes out on scale. Yeah. And that guy is a talented, whatever else, yeah. he's a talented political operator. Yeah. I used to see his house every day in McLean, uh, Virginia, right by the CIA headquarters. And this guy lived very well, had a Corvette. He lived the great life. And he had all the accolades, despite the fact he was one of the loudest proponents throughout the Clinton administration and then early in the W. Bush administration for going in militarily into the Middle East. I know he made the comments, you break it, you own it. But there's a longer history of Colin Powell when he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs and later when he was in the George W. Bush administration as Secretary of State where he was quite bombastic and quite militaristic. And so he somehow got away and all the other members of that administration. And so Millie should have listened to his friend Colin Powell when Colin Powell told him, do not take the job. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Millie, so my point with that article is, and you're right, I should have brought up Powell, but I, for the sake of brevity, I avoided that. No, it's fine um, because but, the, the, some of these generals are very skilled that way. I don't think Millie has those skills, but he has no, enough people was, running, running point for that's him. That's right. And yeah. if he did have... He would have at least kept one of the two parties happy. Yeah. But when he went to the Hill last yeah. week and testified about Afghanistan, he ensured that everybody. Yeah, he has out. no quarter anymore. That's right. That's Powell, right. Powell would have known better. <laughs> he should have right. made the call then. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Brandon, we love you. We'll talk to you next Monday. Thank right. you for the tour. Thank you. As always, let's yes, go, sir. Brandon. Can I say that? Does it offend you? Uh, I hope yeah. not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Until next week, Brandon Weikert, publisher of the Weikert Report, author of Winning Space. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 If you didn't get on with Brandon and you wanted to stick around, we'll get to you in just a moment in the next hour. But um, And there's room to call in as well. But, Bill, do me a favor. I just It was the um, crescendo to the uh, story about Kristen Sinema. Joe Biden was asked about it. And uh, uh, it's important audio, as is... Jen Psaki's attempted cleanup of it. Can you give me um, Peter Ducey, Joe Biden, and then give me a second, and then we'll do Psaki. Mr. President, Mr. President uh, you're talking about how you have 48 Democratic votes right now. The other two uh, have been pressured over the weekend by activists. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat. PL Adam, Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Now, if you're um, trying to so win over <laughs> Kirsten Cinema, <laughs> if you're trying to win over Kirsten Cinema, was this in the what was the was the was it Carnegie who wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People? <laughs> is this the way to do it? This is the Biden version of the Speaker of the House being asked about violence in baltimore people will do what people will do is this not the people will do what people will do defense this is what happens it's part of the process these students don't even know what's in the 3.5 trillion dollar bill i'm going to tell you right now they don't know what's in the 1.5 trillion dollar bill they just know that kirsten cinema is their enemy because she is not on their reservation she has dissented 
from the party line. It's an asinine thing for the president to say that. What was his first response? It was the most weak trumpet you could say. How did he put it? It's not advisable. Give, give it to me again. What did, how did he put it? Mr. President, Mr. President uh, you're talking about how you have 48 Democratic votes right now. The other two uh, have been pressured over the weekend by activists. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat. T.L. Adam, Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate. I don't think they're appropriate. That's about the smallest beer you could give. People will do what people will do. Jen Psaki said what? Do we have time for it or not really? Let's do – maybe not. We'll revisit it in a moment. Repetition is the essence of pedagogy. We are not going to let people forget because there's an important lesson here. And it gets me to what I was saying in the first hour I want to talk with you about. Fake news. Pseudo-events. It was understood long ago by a very smart and good liberal. I want to tell you about it. If you want to look up in the meantime, feel free. We're going to be talking about a scholar named Daniel Boorstin. B-O-O-R-S-T-I-N. He predicted all of this. We didn't listen at our peril. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 